Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of Bullshit Jobs by David Graeber. The rise of pointless work and what we can do about it. Everyone is probably pretty familiar with someone uh, or some job at your workplace, which is kind of the butt of everyone's jokes. You know, it's the, the job with the fancy title, probably a nice juicy pay packet, but really everyone knows deep down they don't really do anything. Yeah, they seem to be, to those on the outside at least, that they really don't play a vital role or move the needle in any way. Some HR consultants, communications coordinator, PR researchers, financial strategists, corporate lawyers, or the people on committees who decide what other committees should make the other committees do <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah, the more you think about it, the more you realize that this list that we just, we only did like five or six there, but you probably come up with some an endless amount of these bullshit job titles. So it got Big Dave the author thinking, you know, are these jobs really useless? Like, are they useless? Um, or is it just what we think from the outside? And then if they are useless, the people in the jobs, are they just like kind of blissfully ignorant, thinking they're important, but they're not? Or are the people in the jobs kind of in on the joke too and they know that it's useless and they know that it's bullshit? Yeah, the people in it with those uh, who are probably bullshit, like on the weekend, if you're at a barbecue with them and having a drink and um, you're talking about their new big important job, with a fancy title and they're wearing some nice clothes because they've got a bit of cash. At the start, they're putting on a brave face and saying, no, I'm loving it. You're loving it with that like, <laughs> high inflection on the voice or something. But six beers deep, it's a, it's a different story. I actually just thought of one from uh, recently, a similar thing. I was, hadn't seen, obviously, two years of lockdown, didn't see it, certain groups of friends. So then I finally saw them and said, you know, what are you doing? They said, I'm working for a fund manager. And so oh, I thought, okay, working for a fund manager. They said they were like an account executive at a fund manager. So I assume that means fund manager, maybe they're trading, they're buying and selling stocks, they're trying to get the maximized performance. And it sounds great. Like that Killing title, it. account executive at a fund manager. Turns out really all they do is just kind of like write a report once a week, sort of here's, here's what happened in the markets. It's just that they just you know buy the index and they say, here's your performance, write a little report, write a summary and just email it out. So it's kind of like, well, do you really need that job? You know, are you, what are you really doing in that job? What are you really doing? I hope that person's not listening. <laughs> you've, you've committed the cardinal <laughs> sin that I've committed I've too many times that show. I've done the Jonesy. Yeah, think it, we're just having a chat and you're thinking that you forget people are listening to this bloody thing <laughs> sometimes. But like, could there be anything more demoralizing than spending five out of your seven waking days, multiply that by so many years, performing a task that you secretly believe that just doesn't have to be done? I mean, if you're writing that report and you know one, no one's reading it, you're putting all your life energy into mm. something, it's pretty pretty bad. So Big Davo, he went into pretty hardcore research mode to try to work out, to try to get to the bottom of this thing. You know, he was collecting anecdotes, he was looking at studies about what people thought about their jobs and how people were kind of spending their working lives and what their job title was versus what they actually did. And he got emails from thousands of people willing to unleash about their organizations and complain about their own jobs and saying how much wasted time and energy was performing these bullshit jobs that didn't need to be done whatsoever pretty funny to talk about some of these on the surface <laughs> but it does leave scars deep down for your mate there but uh, on the individual level and the collective societal psyche as well it drags us down it's not a good thing well we're saying bullshit jobs and we kind of gave a few examples but what is a bullshit job probably a good way to kick it off is a story of kurt which is probably a, he's a prime candidate for a bullshit job kurt he works as a subcontractor for the german military well Actually, who works or is paid by a subcontractor of a subcontractor of a subcontractor of the German military. 
Well, yeah. So the German military, right? They've got a subcontractor that does their IT work. The IT work subcontracts out their logistics and the logistics firm subcontractor out their personnel management. This is where Kurt comes in. <laughs> yeah, he's, right. He's, he's right down the bottom of those subcontractors. <laughs> so let's say you've got a soldier. Soldier A, they need to change office. They move to an office two rooms down the hallway. Now, you might think they just pick up their laptop, head down, move to the next office and set up their office. But no, that's not how it works because you need a bit more process than that. Instead of carrying it down, he has to fill out a form. The IT subcontractor, they get the form, they read it and they approve it. They forward it on to the logistics firm. The logistics firm, they read it, they approve it. They fill out a request that they send to the personnel contractor and then that company says, Kurt, you know, sends an email and says, hey, Kurt, be at the Berlin barracks at 9.30 a.m., which is anywhere, he could go anywhere over Germany, 100 to 500 kilometers away. So Kurt, he has to get a rental car, drives to the barracks, he calls the head office just to say, you know what, I'm on my way. And then he calls him again to say, I've, I've arrived. He meets another bloke there from the logistics company. Kurt's the guy, he goes, he packs the computer into a box, seals the box. The other guy has to carry the box to the next room. Then Kurt unpacks it, fills out a form, gets everybody to sign it. And then he calls the office and said, job's done. And then he drives back another three hours and drops his rental car off and then heads home. That is a, <laughs> it's a serious story. I was just asking before, is that serious? It sounds made up. <laughs> well, I think, I think Dave, he said he got thousands of emails. He's like, right, Kurt, when he saw this Kurt's one, one. <laughs> he go, right, this is what we're opening the book with because that's just freaking ridiculous, isn't it? You think a soldier could carry their computer five meters down the hallway but no, instead it takes weeks, it takes three people a full day and plus the head office person who's on the phones and sending emails out and it costs around 400 euros of taxpayer money just to move two doors down. Yeah, and a lot of energy and bloody time <laughs> from, from everyone involved. Like Kurt must be rocking up every day and he knows deep down if his position were eliminated, it would make zero difference right. to the world. Why don't we make the world a little bit better if it wasn't Kurt's job? It's bloody absurd. He knows it. Yeah. So does everyone. That's kind of the kicker to what a bullshit job is. Not only is the job absurd, but even Kurt knows that the job is absurd. So if we were to go for a bit of a definition here, it takes in a, a couple of different aspects. One is that the job is useless and it could be done away with, with no harm to the world, but also the person in it kind of is in on the joke as well. So the official definition he says here of a bullshit job a bullshit job is a form of paid employment that is so completely pointless, unnecessary, or pernicious that even the employee cannot justify its existence, even though as part of the conditions of their employment, the employee feels obliged to pretend that this is not the case. Whew. There's a few out there. There's a <laughs> few right. out there. There's another one here. It was a Spanish civil servant. Um, he made the, the headline of the Jewish Times in Feb 2016. Bit of a legend in some ways, I think, <laughs> that way he got away with this stuff. But he skipped work for six years to study Spinoza. <laughs> so, so he was a Spanish civil servant, Joaquin Garcia. Um, he collected a salary for the full six years without rocking up to work whatsoever to go out there and, and study this Got a vicious person. So, you probably had a bit of fun having this six years off and just getting paid. That's it. The Jewish philosopher Baruch Spinoza. Um, I think you pronounce that Joaquin, uh, but we'll go with that. But the court, when uh, Joaquin went to court, the court ordered him to pay back 30 grand in fines for failing to show up to his job uh, at the Water Authority, where he'd been employed as an engineer since 1996. And the only reason that they finally sort of cottoned on that he hadn't been rocking up to work was that in 2010, there was a ceremony for Joaquin 
as to give him a medal for long service. <laughs> so <laughs> the, everyone had organized this big party, Joaquin, this legend who'd been around for so long, for decades, and then the mayor came to present his medal. <laughs> Turns out he wasn't there. No one <laughs> didn't even know him. No one, no one knew who Joaquin was. This is bloody ridiculous. <laughs> it made headlines at the time because uh, everyone was going through the GFC and yeah. um, paying taxes and they're like, <laughs> You just hear Yelquin's been paid just for his own true studies. And he didn't say, no, I didn't come for the last six years. He said, oh, I used to come from time to time, but I came at irregular times, which is a good way of saying he didn't show up whatsoever. Yeah. Well, no one noticed. So, obviously, he's got a bullshit job. Yeah. And and obviously, like, kind of going back to that definition of, like, the employee has to pretend that it's not a bullshit job because he could just go to his boss and say, you know what, guys, I don't actually do anything here. Mm. You could probably fire me. And you'd be better off. But you're not going to do that as part of the kind of the bullshit job is you've got to pretend like you're doing something. Yeah, it's the unwritten law here. There's another one about like uh, male men, male women. Um, there's A lot of them just take the moral stance of they know that junk mail is crap. They know no one wants it. So instead of delivering it, what they do is they take it out and pretend to deliver it. But instead, they just trash it and just <laughs> or hide it and get rid of it. So they do whatever they can to not deliver the junk <laughs> mail, working, which is part of their job. They're probably working harder to find all these different hiding places than they would to actually deliver it. Or there's another one. There's a uh, David Foster Wallace, uh, not to be confused with David Wallace Wells, which I've done before, but David Foster Wallace, he wrote this novel called The Pale King where somebody, they'll work in the US tax department, they died at their desk, but they remain propped up for their chairs for days without anyone noticing. So that's obviously just a novel. It's a fictional story. Sounds crazy. Turns out it actually happened. <laughs> Back in 2002 in Finland, in Helsinki, there was a tax auditor who was working in their office. They died and uh, the dead person just stayed there for 48 hours. <laughs> 48 hours and then someone went and checked on them. <laughs> 30 different colleagues had walked past at some point in that office and just thought, you know what? He's just probably busy. He's got his head down. He's working hard. I'm not going to disturb him. And he lasted two days before someone said, this guy's actually cocked it. <laughs> So clearly that guy wasn't too important if no one needed anything from him. For, for two, <laughs> two old days. Sad, isn't it? So there's a lot of stats about people in our work. There was a YouGov poll in the UK that found that 50% of those people with full-time jobs were entirely sure that their job was made of any sort of meaningful contribution to the world and 37% were absolutely sure that it did not. That's high. <laughs> That's very high. There was another poll that found that uh, 40% of people thought that their job made absolutely no difference to the world. So that's ex- that's extremely high. If we're thinking one, one study saying 37%, one, saying, one study saying 40%, they're realizing that their job is so useless and they can admit that their job is useless as well. It's, this is not somebody else saying, oh, Jonesy over there, seems like he's taking the piss. Jonesy himself is saying, you know what? I'm taking the piss. Mm. Well, if you think about all the jobs that are obviously not bullshit jobs, there's a lot of them as well. Bus drivers, dentists, street cleaners, farmers, music teachers, repairmen, gardeners, firefighters, set designers, plumbers, journalists, safety inspectors, poets, tailors. There's so <laughs> many out there. Um, so, if you... if that Yeah, if they're in that study, they're going to say, no, my job's not bullshit. There's so many of those that you would assume like... As you say, all the doctors, all the nurses, all the bus drivers, all these people would say, no, my job does make a difference to people's lives. It means a hell of a lot of people are left over. <laughs> Just everyone shows bullshit <laughs> if you're not in that category in, in any other ways. In that category. That's right. So studies found that 37 to 40% of jobs are completely pointless and another found that of the people who thought that their job overall was not pointless, 
but they spend over 50% of their time on pointless activities. <laughs> Pretty much conclude from all of this that more than half of all work done in our society, in our economy, could be eliminated mm. and it'll make no difference in the world whatsoever. It's pretty crazy. And you, you might think that, okay, if half of the work can be got rid of and nobody would miss it, that could be a good thing. Everybody can just work 20 hours on doing the stuff that is actually important and does make a difference. It doesn't quite work that way though. Instead of going to that, that 20 or 15-hour work week, we just magically fill our time with just bullshit. Okay, there's a bunch of bullshit jobs out there we're about to speak about. And uh, if it's you, listen in. There's going to be five different categories that it might fall into. I'm sure you can think of uh, people you know or people you work with that fall into these categories. And then one of them, you might just look in the mirror and think, oh, shit. Yeah, I they're talking <laughs> about me. So, one, uh, the first type of bullshit job is flunkies. So, a flunky, a flunky's job really only exists or primarily only exists to make somebody else look or feel important. So, threat recorded history, there's all these rich and powerful people that employ men and women just to have around them so that they look more important. The servants, the minions, the footmen, the flunkies, the henchmen, the gophers, uh, the lackeys, the cronies, all these different people that are just kind of there to have more people around. If you've, if you've got 20 people around you doing useless shit, then you're pretty important. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the opinion <laughs> is like you can't be magnificent without an entourage. Like if you've got servants of some sort to... They're token in their jobs to justify their existence. It's just a bit of a cover. They're not really doing a hell of a lot. It's kind of like if, if you're asking someone as well, you know, what, if someone is trying to boast about their job, one thing is probably job title. The next thing is oh, I manage a team of 15 people or I manage a team of 60 people. Like the more people you can claim that you manage, then mm. probably the better off you look. So that's kind of the reason for these flunky jobs just to inflate those numbers a touch. Yeah, I think there's a few small companies out there. They employ a receptionist. Just to add that little bit of badge of seriousness to the company. That's right. Because if the company can pay to answer the phones, it must be a pretty serious company. <laughs> That's right. If you think of like the, the doorman, the concierge, the receptionist, people can open the door for themselves. But if a building's got a doorman, then that's a pretty serious building. Mm. One of the people who reached out to David when he was putting the book together was Jack. He was a phone caller. His job was that of a cold caller for a low-level kind of struggling stock brokerage firm. His job wasn't to sell stocks though. His job was rather to offer free research material on a promising company that is about to go public. And he'd emphasized that uh, he was calling on behalf of broker Johnny Matthews. Now, that last point was the most important, saying, hey, my name's Jack. I'm calling on behalf of broker John Matthews. And the reason was, you know, if, if you've got someone who's calling, then Broker John, he must be so busy making trades, making money, just making bank, just reeling it in that he's just so busy, he couldn't possibly call prospects and he needs somebody else to call prospects. So that's kind of by hiring somebody, just make that initial phone call, just really gives that badge of seriousness, that badge of importance. And all of a sudden, you're thinking, Broker John, he must be a legend. I should send him some money. Yeah, I've got me wondering about Broker John as well. <laughs> that's right. So that's the definition of a flunky job. The second category is goons. So, the name, of course, is metaphorically. It's not about gangsters or other forms of hired muscle. It's rather referring to the jobs that have some sort of aggressive element. And crucially, they only exist because other people have got the similar kind of aggressiveness. That's right. If you think about armies, if nobody had an army, nobody would need an army. But because China's got an army, North Korea's got an army, Russia's got an army, Japan's got an army, US has got an army, England's got an army. If you're a country and you don't have an army, you're in trouble. Mm. So you, by definition, have to have an army. Well, it's the same concept for all sorts of less physical jobs as well. Like if you think about uh, hired lobbyists, 
your industry, you might not be hiring lobbyists um, only because other firms are hiring their lobbyists. So you're sort of competing each with each other. They're putting so many resources into something that's such a zero-sum game that the average of all the lobbying is zero <laughs> with zero productive value to society. I mean, that's just bullshit. That's right. You only hire a lobbyist because somebody else does. If they've got a lobbyist, they're going to win. So you need a lobbyist just to counteract them. Same kind of goes for PR specialists, telemarketers, corporate lawyers. You only do these because all your competitors have these roles as well. Got a story of Tom here. He worked for a large post-production company. There are parts of his job that have always been pretty exciting like making animated dinosaurs that spit out stuff and special effects explosions, hovering cars, exploding buildings, spaceships attacking the world. Sounds like a really fun job, like pleasing a variety of audiences, obviously not bullshit whatsoever. However, like a lot of jobs, a bit of bullshitness sort of crept in over time. He's... The, uh, some of the clients started becoming not these big budget movies but advertising agencies. So they'd bring these uh, well-known household brands like shampoos, toothpastes, moisturizing creams, washing powders and they'd use his FX, you know, special effects skills to put a bit of visual trickery to make it seem like these products actually work a little bit better than they do. So they, you know, the before and after of the toothpaste uh, it probably adds a little bit more shine, a little bit more whiteness. He's using his skills to try to bump up the supposed efficacy of these products. That's obviously not adding value to society, but he's still getting paid 200K a year to do something mm. like that. So it's partly bullshit or partly just evil because you're really <laughs> just doing all sorts of trickery to make people buy products. Yeah, the bullshit or the goon part of this is because he's doing it because everyone else is doing it. If, if, uh, if I don't know what... If Oral-B is doing ads about how much they make your teeth white, then Colgate's got to hire someone to make their teeth look whiter as well. So this goon aspect, he's doing it because everyone else is doing it. Third category is the duct tapers. And as the name suggests, their job exists purely just because there's a bit of a glitch or a fault that um, they're there to solve a problem. But the glitch or the fault could just be, the root problem could be solved. But they're just sitting there putting <laughs> duct tape over it all the time. Pablo, he says he's got two jobs in one. One is working on these core technologies, creating new software. But the second part of his job is just fixing the things that don't really work anymore. You know, putting different bits together, writing little bits of code so that different programs speak to each other. Rather than just fixing the problem, he's just got to try to patch it all together. So many duct tapers jobs are the result of a glitch in the system that nobody has really bothered to, to correct. Probably his task could be automated, um, mm. for instance, but they haven't been because people just haven't gotten around to it yet. And the manager maybe might want as many subordinates as possible. Probably that again, that badge of importance to, to look <laughs> big again. There's a, a couple of funny examples here. There was a programmer for a travel company, but they realized that their code was broken. It used to suck in the information and automatically put it into their system, but for whatever reason, that broke. And instead of fixing it, they just hired someone to manually copy-paste all the different information. So every time a new flight schedule was released, somebody would just copy-paste it into their system. Ugh, it's shocking. <laughs> it's a type of job that's equivalent to like a homeowner. Finding a leak in their roof, you could go and find a roofer to go out and repair it on a weekend. Instead, they just put a bucket of water underneath <laughs> it and they hire someone else full-time to just periodically take the water out and throw it into the garden and put it back. <laughs> That's right. Instead of plugging the hole, they're just paying someone to empty the bucket. There's a lot of duct tapers out there who are fully and truly aware that they know they're doing a bullshit job and they're probably pretty angry about its existence. Another one is a box ticker and the box ticker, their job is really there just to allow an organization to say, hey, you know what? That thing that we had to do, we did it. So that's writing the reports that nobody reads. That's filling out the forms that nobody's ever going to look at again, but they've done it. They did their job. They ticked the box and it was done. I've done that in the previous <laughs> job. Bloody hell. 
just sustainability reports. No one reads it. Highly paid <laughs> consultants putting so much money into it and of course, nothing happens. So I think there's a lot of these ones out there. Yeah, and the, I think the construction industry is a big one. Sophie, she was a consultant engineer. She was working in planning and permissions and uh, she said that, you know, a few decades ago, the person who designed the building was the architect. They were kind of responsible for everything. But now, she says, things have evolved so much that there are so many different reports needed for one building. So, Sophie kind of manages the team that does the environmental impact assessment, the landscape and visual impact assessment, the transport report, the wind and microclimate assessment, the sunlight daylight analysis, the heritage setting assessment, the archaeological assessment, the landscape maintenance management report, the tree assessment, the floor risk assessment. So, basically, all of these like 20 different reports that nobody's ever going to read because they're 50 to 100 pages long. But you know what? If you're making a new building, you've got to tick that box. Oh, now how much money gets invested into that bloody stuff? And the weirdest thing is like you walk around the park and you look at the buildings that um, were there in the 60s, they're pretty much the same. And that was before <laughs> That's right. all of these magical reports that seem somehow add value, which they obviously don't. <laughs> That's right. These reports aren't serving any real purpose other than the fact that they need to tick the box to just say someone had made one of those reports before the construction commenced. A whole yeah. bunch of crap to me. Pretty crazy. Another one, uh, Hannibal, which is a pretty intense name. He says that his uh, basically his job was sending statistics and insights reports to senior managers, but he was pretty sure that nobody ever read it. And what Hannibal explained about his own job, he said there was a funny story, um, may or may not be true, but there's a story that the CEO, he pulled the fire alarm one day and told everybody to go to assemble, evacuate and assemble in the car park. And the CEO said, okay, anybody who was dealing with a customer right now when we pulled the alarm, you can go back, go back to the customer. That's fine. And then he said, you know what? Of all the remaining staff, whenever somebody who's dealing with a customer needs you to help them for something, then you can go back in. And Hannibal said, you know what? He was waiting in the car park all day. <laughs> he didn't have to do anything. Yeah, not many people went back in, did they? <laughs> Fifth category of the bullshit jobs is the taskmasters. Pretty much the opposite of the flunkies, the ones we opened with. Um, they're the unnecessary superiors rather than the unnecessary subordinates. Yeah, the taskmaster, it's the, the manager who's managing jobs that don't really need to be managed. You know, So one example is the, the manager who's got 10 different staff and the manager's job was to just dish out the work. And you know, say, okay, Susie, you do this one. It's always a Susie. Hannibal, you do this one. Marco, you do this one. Uh, but what the manager, Ben, he said, you know what? If I wasn't there, they just kind of work it out. They mm. kind of work out, okay, we've got all this work. I'll do this, you do that. And Ben's job is really completely bullshit. He was just the useless task master dishing out stuff that didn't need dishing. Yeah, sometimes he tries to assign real work to himself just so <laughs> he feels productive. Um like his 10 staff members, but whenever his boss catches him doing it, he says, look, you need to get better at delegating, Ben. You suck at this, mate. Pretty shocking, isn't it? You need to do more bullshit. Probably, maybe even worse than the unnecessary, you know, the, the gatekeeper is the bullshit generator. The manager who's literally just making up tasks that don't need to be done just to keep their staff members busy. Like they're creating extra bullshit work out of nothing just so they could say that my team's super busy and I need more staff members. Yeah, there's a lot of managers out there who just call meetings for the sake of calling a meeting mm. and just constantly just pulling new into stuff that you don't need to do. So, bullshit generators is quite harmful to organizations and the world. So, what now? What if you look around and realize that a lot of people at your workplace are doing bullshit jobs that don't need to be done or what if you realize that there are elements of your job you know, a certain percentage of your tasks that are kind of bullshit or maybe you realize that your entire job is bullshit and doesn't need to be done at all. 
Yeah, it should be 50% of him, <laughs> judging by the stats from <laughs> earlier. Funny. Orwell, he noted that a population that was busy working, even a completely useless occupations, doesn't have much time to do much else. Um, so, as an individual, you can identify the parts of your work that are bullshit and we need to really acknowledge them as mm. such because that's the hardest part is just taking the step back and, and acknowledging it. Massively. And as a society, we kind of need to start a bit of a conversation that works towards a better distribution of labor and energy, You know, not working for the sake of working but realizing that instead of doing bullshit stuff that doesn't need to be done, maybe you don't do it and maybe you do something else. You know, For example, if we we're a free society where we didn't do the work that didn't need to be done for the sake of doing it, we might find that a lot of people have a lot more free time that could be put to a far better use. So, this is a very powerful argument for human freedom, um, playing on the lower levels, but it is actually quite a powerful book in that sense because you follow the logic all the way to the end point. A lot of us, we talk about freedom in the abstract or even claim that it's worth dying for, like Willie Wallace at the final scene, but we don't think really what about being free or actually practicing freedom might actually mean. The point of this book wasn't just to say, you know, let's, you know, get rid of 30% of the jobs in the world that are bullshit. It was really just for us to start thinking and looking about our own jobs and thinking about, okay, what can we eliminate? And then really thinking next about, okay, if you've got more free time and more freedom, what might you actually do with that free time that could actually contribute something positive to the world? Yeah, think about society. If that 50% of time is wasted, if we found a way to use that for non-bullshit work, uh, it would start everyone thinking and arguing about what a genuine free society might actually look like and a fully productive workforce that we could harness into the world. Mm-hmm.